Amen. God is good all the time. I love that. Like we're in an African church. We are in an African and English and all kinds of churches we're in here. You know, I was preaching once in a in a, a church in London, and the drummer just stayed up there the whole time. And he, as I was getting excited, he was getting excited, banging on those drums. And uh, yeah, we should do that. Should we do? No. Okay. I think we're too reserved and too, uh, too prim and proper to get excited in church. No. I want to continue a series that I've started um, on forgiveness. We talked about for- forgiveness, that God takes our sin, and even though our debt of sin was so much we could never pay, God forgave that debt, and by his grace we are saved by faith, yeah. And then I talked about how that forgiveness opens a gateway, and uh, it's a two-way gateway. As we've received love, we give love. As we've received forgiveness, we give forgiveness. And this morning, I want to talk about how we view ourselves. Do we and are we able to forgive ourselves? And um, what do we think to that? So I'm going to open with... uh, Mark chapter 12, if you've got your Bible, you can follow along. We'll have the scriptures come up. And the story goes like this in verse 28. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe was like, wow, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that God is one. He is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love one another as ourselves. These are the most important of all, and more important than any burnt offerings or sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him a question. So the subject of forgiveness as that supernatural gateway, and the grace of God that opens up that our innermost beings, that walking in forgiveness and love as part of the new creation is just the way of life. That's how we operate. We operate as the people of God, walking in the freedom that God gives us in his grace, being able to receive forgiveness, being able to give forgiveness, and being able to forgive ourselves because it releases us from the bondage of sin. And people say, Giles, you know, you do talk about sin, you talk about sin, you know, well, sin is missing the mark, but it's more than that. Sin is very hurtful to us, and it's very hurtful to others. So wouldn't you want to stop doing things that are hurtful and start doing things that are helpful? That's what you want for your children. You want your children to be helpful and not hurtful. Isn't that an amen? Um, But forgiveness... Uh, is a gateway that's open, and God is looking for us to come to him in repentance. Not penance, not paying uh, some penalty, not in just regret, 
You know, it's more than just regret. Repentance is where God's forgiveness and his kindness comes to us and brings a complete transformation of heart and mind. You know, the, the Old Testament, they, the, the scholars, they looked at this and they saw a new covenant coming. And in this new covenant, God would replace a hard-hearted stone of a heart and give us a heart of flesh. Why? So God could write his laws and his commandments upon our hearts so that we would want to do what he wants. That's the transformation power that God gives us. When we come to him, it's not just wiping a slate clean and try to do better next time. You know, sometimes that is forgiveness. Forgiveness sounds like that, doesn't it? You know, we'll forgive you, but, you know, until next time. But no, when God's forgiveness comes, he wants to cleanse our hearts. He wants to cleanse our conscience. He wants, yes, to give us a new start. But he wants to give us the transforming power of God that enables us to live the grace-filled life that he's called us to live. True? In our scripture today, we see some of the religious people. These are the guys that Jesus had a hard time with. But now they're finally giving up confronting him. And... Jesus' answer seems to satisfy these scribes. A scribe is a writer of the law. You understand that you had Moses' Ten Commandments, then you had other commandments in Leviticus, and you had probably up to about 600 different commandments that were there. And uh, the writers of the law, uh, the rabbis, they were putting something called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the rabbi's way of surrounding the law, so you've got the law on the Sabbath, and they would surround the law with other laws so you wouldn't even come close to breaking the Sabbath. So these kind of numbered up, didn't they? And sometimes when Jesus had a hard time with the scribes and the Pharisees, it was about the extras that they would put on. But Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments. Um, the first five are really about us, how we treat God, and the second five is really about how we treat others. So um, he's trying to sum these up in two. Now, Micah, the prophet, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he had summarized them already um, into three, which was uh, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before God. So Jesus' emphasis here is not in abandoning the commandments of God, but in Jesus Christ fulfilling those commands. For instance, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you know, he's talking in Matthew 6.33, they're talking about um, how we get our needs fulfilled, what fulfills us. And I think sometimes we're in such an individualistic society today that it's all about getting our own needs met and everyone else is secondary to that. But Jesus says, no, 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 what is first is you're seeking the kingdom of God. And the second is his righteousness. And reading some scholars of that, of that day, that righteousness is not just in a personal relationship of holiness with God. Now, that's how we interpret it as uh, an individualistic society. But as a community, doing righteousness is actually about justice. It's about how you treat others. Being righteous is more for, for that culture is a more about a community thing. It's not an individualistic right standing with God. It's us as a community. How do we operate in the righteousness of God? How do we do that? We care for the widow, the orphan, the fatherless. We care for those others. So Jesus is, is really 
uh, places an emphasis on the importance of not just seeking God, but seeking right standing as a community. How do we react as a community, as, as Lighthouse? You know, what happens when refugees come over from the Ukraine? How do we embrace them and help them and support them? How do we deal with um, uh, people who've lost uh, loved ones? How do we, you know, um, if they're widowed, how do we support people who are fatherless? You know, these things that were prevalent then and they're prevalent today. Um, so in our righteousness, I wasn't going to talk about this this morning, but maybe someone needs to hear this. But righteousness then comes away from just being a personal holiness goal to a community goal. How do we interact with one another is how that we are righteous in ourselves. So ultimately, loving God is number one. And loving God brings good into existence. We begin to take responsibility in the way that we honor God. We take responsibility for ourselves in the way we do that, but we take responsibility as a community. And we honor God wholeheartedly. It's no coincidence here that the kind of love that God is seeking is heart, you know, innermost being, our strength physically, our mind, our understanding. It's the entire fabric of our whole being is bound together in the love of God. And it's not just something we do on a Sunday morning. It becomes, it is our way of life. And how many know that's true, that we're not just a Sunday morning Christian, because we're actually Christians in part of a community, and this is just how we live as the people of God, as these flourishing human beings, that whatever situation that we're in, our behavior always reflects what we believe. Uh, the Apostle John writes it like this in 1 John 3, verse 18. Little children, I love that. Let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and we do what pleases him. Often conflict arises in our conscience when we begin to feel condemned or we begin to feel condemnation. That is where we act in a way that contradicts our conscience. Our conscience is what we know to be right or wrong. Of course, if we continue along the wrong path long enough, Scripture says our conscience becomes seared like with a hot iron. This is 1 Timothy 4.2. And our hearts are hardened and we start, instead of believing the truth, we start believing lies. So this is why God wants us to have that soft heart. He wants us to have that heart that he can speak to by the power of his Holy Spirit, correct us and direct us wherever he needs us to go. We are meant to be integrated beings where our belief is substantiated by what we do. And when your beliefs and your actions are out of sync, 
That seemed to be where Jesus had problems with the scribes and the Pharisees, because you say one thing, but your heart is not, your heart is far from God. My next point is about how do we love ourselves? Because I'm talking about forgiveness, Anna. You forgot about that, didn't you? All these tangents you thought I'd forgotten too. But fortunately, I've got lots of notes. Jesus speaks of love for our neighbor in, as akin to how we love ourselves. We say we believe in God. Do we also believe that we are made in the image of God? And what does that mean? Imago Dei. What does that mean to be made in the image of God? I think sometimes uh, that needs a bit of more unpacking than I have time for today. But what is our image of ourselves? What do we see when we see ourselves? Not just our reflection in the mirror, but what do we see, what do we think about when we think about ourselves? Now, psychologists talk about the self in different ways, how you see yourself how others see you, how you perceive others see you, and how you perceive that you see yourself. Does that make sense? But do we treat ourselves as someone who bears the image of God? Made in his image and his likeness, he created them. But how do we love our neighbors if we have a hard time loving ourselves? How do we treat ourselves as someone whom we care for? How do we treat ourselves as someone whom not only God loves, but also that we love? And do we allow enough uh, self-reflection to discipline ourselves, to confront ourselves with purpose by using truth and courage and that would help ourselves to guide us into a better way of being by allowing ourselves, by not allowing ourselves to live absent of truth and justice. See, Jesus speaks to the church in Revelation, Revelation 3. He says this, verse 19, I reprove, I discipline those whom I love. Therefore, he says, repent. Be earnest. He continues in that scripture. If you read Revelation 3, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking because I want to come in and to dine with you. I want the kind of fellowship where we can eat together. And will we open our hearts, let Christ come in and dine with us? That's an important question, isn't it? Hebrews 12 talks about um, how we are the children of God. And if we are the children of God, then God disciplines us. He corrects us. That kind of idea of discipline is, that, is the same notion as child training. So you want to train a child in the way that they'll go so when they're old they won't depart, the Proverbs tells us. So God wants to treat us in a way that disciplines us, corrects us in a gentle, child-rearing, child way because we want the best for our children those who have children we want the best for them we want them to live a good life we want them to live a whole life we want them to live a life that doesn't hurt others we want the best for them we want to encourage them to imitate us and instruct them in the proper way to live Hebrews 12 5 to 11 I won't read it now but speaks of how we are the children of God and we are to love the discipline of the Lord just like we do with our children. We discipline them when their words and their actions 
um, do not conform to a healthy lifestyle, and we correct them by showing them the right way to live and to connect with others. But we do this because we love them, we want the best for them, but do we love ourselves enough to discipline ourselves, to gain the knowledge of the truth, to help guide ourselves into proper living? And knowing, telling ourselves there's purpose in all that we do. And we know that children need encouragement, they need love, they need to understand their value and their place in the world. These are crucial beings whose ethical decisions play an important part in the role of shaping the structure of reality and structure of the family. These things um, are important and we have a moral responsibility to train our children to behave in a way that demonstrates that value of who they are. And raising children means that we don't just give in to every need, every want, every desire that they have. You know, you're putting them to bed and they want lots of ice cream and sweets and Coca-Cola and you think, actually, no, that's probably not the best thing for you, so I'm going to say no. But maybe you're going to have a little problem and tantrum and I don't know, maybe you do. Or maybe you give in and it, then it's a lot worse. But how do we do the same for ourselves? Do we eat all the ice cream and the chocolate because now we're an adult, we can do whatever we want? Well, yes, we could do whatever we want, but is it helpful? Is it, is it going to be productive in our lives? Do we have that kind of discipline? You know, we know what's good for us. We know it's good to read our Bible. We know it's good to pray. We know it's good to worship. We know it's good to reach out and show the love of God to others. But do we respect ourselves and recognize that we are people worthy of love? And we don't simply do whatever we want regardless of the consequences, do we? But if, our, if we have that seared conscience, you know, that we maybe have a hard time seeing ourselves as God sees us and forgiving ourselves. But what do we say? What is our self-talk? What do you say about yourselves? Do you see yourself as a child of God? Do you see yourself washed, cleansed, forgiven, and whole? The Apostle Paul says, I know no charge against myself, but it's not this that justifies me, but it's Christ who declares me right with him. If Christ has declared me right, who am I to say differently? What God has called clean, who am I to call unclean? I love it in Ephesians 2. Verse 4, it says, God who's rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, and even though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised up with him and seated together in heavenly places. Do we see ourselves seated with Christ in that heavenly place? The writer of Hebrews uh, points out that Christ's sacrifice dealt with our sin once and for all times. And he says it like this. He says, because Jesus Christ made it possible to approach God, we could do so with a clean conscience, a conscience free from offense, because that was once and for all time, where the old system of sacrifices, they were always conscious of their own sins, and every time they came to worship, they were reminded again and again and again and again, that they were unclean. Do we have the mindset that when we come to, before God that we are just nothing, that we are 
uh, sinners, that God has, there's no hope for us, or do we come with boldness? This uh, Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us approach him with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's not saying we're in denial to the struggles that we're facing or the difficulties and challenges that we have because we're human beings. But we see ourselves, yes, as human beings, but ones that are washed and clean and cleansed, that we can have that kind of boldness, that we don't have our conscience so uh, always on, uh, we're not always self-conscious or we're not always sin-conscious, but we are God-conscious and we are righteousness-conscious. You know, I was thinking what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be a leader, is to see Christ in somebody despite their humanness and their weaknesses. Can you do that with one another? Can you see Christ in them? Can you see them as a new creation? Because I know when you do connect with someone in the new creation, you see them as right with God, your fellowship is open. Uh, if I had time, uh, letters to John, he writes this, we have fellowship with one another because we have fellowship with the Father. If I see you as my brother and sister, if I see you in Christ, then we can connect. And it then doesn't matter if you support different football team or you don't even like football or you like motor racing, you know, whatever your crazy thoughts that you've got. That doesn't matter because our connection isn't superficial. Our connection is you're in Christ, I'm in Christ. And sometimes with people's humanness, we can be challenged to see them as children of God. But you need to push beyond the outer performance and into who they are in Christ and love them. But let me flip that around. Can you see yourself as in Christ despite your own humanness? And the people closest to us, I tell you, that's the easiest to see their weaknesses and their faults. And that goes double for ourselves. Do you see yourself in Christ? I am closing. Ultimately, by loving God, number one, and loving each other as we love ourselves, we begin to bring the good into existence, into the world. Remember he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. That's because the kingdom of God is in loving him, honouring him with all our strength, our soul, our mind, and then loving our neighbour as we love ourselves. You're not far from the kingdom when you open up the love of God, you begin to take responsibility and accept responsibility in the way we honour God, accept responsibility for our hearts, our minds and our souls that we can engage in that relationship with God. Then the entire fabric of our being, of our lives, is bound together with this love for God. This is why what we believe is not just simple saying, I believe. James would say, show me what you believe by the way you act with each other. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember, that's a community thing in the way you respond. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Not because we have a personal holiness, but that we take responsibility for one another. And that begins by taking responsibility for yourselves. I could go on all morning, but I won't. 
Do we treat ourselves as someone who bears the image of God? Do we see ourselves as children of God? Do we love ourselves enough to discipline ourselves, to gain the kind of knowledge and understanding, to help guide ourselves into a proper way of living? What do we say about ourselves? What is our self-talk like? Do we see ourselves as forgiven? Can we, like Paul, say, I know no charge against me, for my heart is cleansed? And that becomes, when I preached a couple of weeks ago about how God forgives us, that's also in how we act and how we forgive others and how we act and forgive in loving ourselves. If God has called me righteous, us righteous, who are we to say differently? What God has called clean, who are we to call unclean? Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.